for nearly a quarter of a century, really, since even before 1958, thousands of dedicated Americans have worked for this historic moment. The bill before me now, the Alaska National Interest Lands Conservation Act, without doubt, is one of the most important pieces of conservation legislation ever passed in this nation. I was going over this morning early the comparison between what this bill is and the original administration proposal that we submitted to the Congress, and they are remarkably similar. Never before have we seized the opportunity to preserve so much of America's natural and cultural heritage on so grand a scale. We are setting aside for conservation an area of land larger than the state of California. By designating more than nine, 97 million acres for new parks and refuges, we are doubling the size of our national park and wildlife refuge system. By protecting 25 free-flowing Alaskan rivers in their natural state, we are almost doubling the size of our wild and scenic river system. By classifying 56 million acres of some of the most magnificent land in our federal estate as wilderness, we are tripling the size of our wilderness system. We preserve the unparalleled beauty of areas like the Mr. Fjords and Admiralty Island National Monuments in Southeast Alaska. And we've ensured that Alaska's Eskimos and Indians and Aleuts and continue their traditional way of life. And we've given the state of Alaska finally the opportunity to choose a land which will be theirs through eternity. I've been fortunate. I've seen firsthand some of the splendors of Alaska, but many Americans have not. Now, whenever they or their children or their grandchildren choose to visit Alaska, they'll have the opportunity to see much of its splendid beauty undiminished, and its majesty untarnished. This act of Congress reaffirms our commitment to the environment. It strikes a balance between protecting areas of great beauty and value and allowing development of Alaska's vital oil and gas and mineral and timber resources. 100% of the offshore areas and 95% of the potentially productive oil and mineral areas will be available for exploration or for drilling. With this bill, we are acknowledging that Alaska's wilderness areas are truly this country's crown jewels, and that Alaska's resources are treasures of another sort. How to tap these resources is a challenge that we can now face in the decade ahead. As a nation, we have been blessed with an abundance of natural resources. We've also been blessed with an abundance of natural wonders, from the Grand Canyon to the gates of the Arctic, from the Everglades to Yellowstone. We're only just now learning how to use the one without abusing the other. We must not let the pressures of the day interfere with these efforts to enhance the quality of our lives. We cannot let our eagerness for progress in energy and in technology outstrip our care for our land, for our water, and for air, and for the plants and animals that share all of these precious, vital resources with us. Every time we dig out minerals, or drill wells, 
Every time we ignore erosion or destroy a sand dune or dam a wild river or dump garbage or create pollution, we're changing the living earth. Sometimes this change might be beneficial, but we should always change the world in which we live with great care. We are affecting the air we breathe and the water we drink. We have nothing more precious than life itself, nothing more valuable to us than health. We must not forfeit these in the pursuit of progress. We must face the fact that these threats to the quality of life will mount inexorably in the years ahead. We've tried to look forward to the year 2000, and we've been very concerned at what we've seen. We must face the fact that these threats to the quality of life will perhaps be the greatest challenges which this nation must face. None of us can afford to relax our vigilance, and we certainly cannot afford to rely on government alone to be vigilant for us. Each of us has a responsibility to the environment that nurtures all of us. Years ago, Americans used to feel secure, surrounded by wide oceans, but today we have a different world view and different kinds of oceans to contemplate. Today, today we know that all of us, the globe over, belong to the same very small world, adrift in the vast areas of space. We see more clearly that we have a duty to ourselves and to our descendants, to the environment and to the world itself, to conserve, to preserve, to use, but to think before we act, and always to care. We Americans have a history of viewing the environment as wilderness, and wilderness is something that must be conquered. But we must never forget that as vast and dark and forbidding as the forest may seem, they're very fragile, and as wide and as boundless as the oceans may seem, they're quite vulnerable. For all that the Earth has given us, we owe it our respect and, more importantly, our understanding. We are the stewards of an irreplaceable environment. That's an awesome task, as well as a precious gift. In the decade past, we've worked hard to build strong programs to protect the environment, and where there was damage to clean our skies and waterways, we have made some progress. It has not been easy. Human greed is not an easy foe to conquer. As governor and as president, this has been one of my most difficult political challenges and throughout my life in the future. It's a challenge that I will continue to meet. In the last four years, we've strengthened the Clean Air and Clean Waters Act and the Coastal Zone Management Act. We've established strict federal environmental standards for coal mining. We've provided for better control of pesticides and toxic chemicals. We have at least continued our protection of endangered species. Outside of Alaska, of Alaska, we've made vast additions to our national park system. We've created new wilderness areas and designated new wild and scenic rivers. We cannot afford to retreat from these efforts now. We cannot afford to look at the immediate financial profits and ignore the long-term cost of misusing the environment. 
Protecting our environment also brings immediate results to our health and to the development of new technology, new areas of understanding, new knowledge that benefits us all. It brings us some financial costs as well, but these costs, compared to the benefits, are very modest indeed. The price of not protecting the environment would be far greater and far more lasting. Much of the damage cannot possibly be repaired at any price. We protect it today or we lose it for all time. In tackling our challenges, the problems of hazardous waste disposal and eroding beaches, extinction of plant and animal species and human overpopulation, we have our forebears to emulate. When they came to these shores, they faced challenges beyond any they had known previously, and they had to think, and they had to fight their way through. Their success is our legacy now. Their triumphs and their mistakes have much to teach us. We've learned the hard way, in some cases, that we cannot, without consequence, take from the land without giving. We've learned, too, that what we need as we enter the 1980s is the same thing the pioneers had when they first entered the wilderness of this country. Determination, courage, and daring. We were determined to preserve portions of Alaska. 56 million acres of that state can now stand pristine. We dared to act with foresight instead of hindsight, and with an understanding that Alaska will help keep our nation both energy strong and environmentally rich. As our descendants look back on the 1980s, I hope it will be said by them that we kept our commitment to the restoration of environmental quality, that we protected the public health from the continuing dangers of toxic chemicals, from pollution, from hazardous and radioactive wastes, that we put this nation on a path to a sustainable energy future, one based increasingly on renewable resources and on the elimination of waste. Let it be said that we moved to protect America's countryside, that this year, the year of the coast, was perhaps a turning point in protecting, finally, our coastland from mismanagement, that we'd redirected the management of a nation's water resources toward water conservation and environmental protection, that we faced squarely such worldwide problems as deforestation, acid rain, toxic waste disposal, carbon dioxide buildup, and nuclear proliferation. That all of us have won so much in Alaska is all the more reason to continue our fight for our other environmental concerns, that we've struck a balance between Alaska's economic interests and its natural beauty, its industry and its ecology, is all the more reason to try now to strike similar balances elsewhere in our nation. This act of Congress gives us both the knowledge and the impetus and inspiration. For today, in closing, let me say, let us celebrate. The mountains that rim the misty fjords and rise above Admiralty Island, the tracks of man's past along the Bering Strait, the rivers and lakes that harbor salmon and trout, the game trails of caribou and grizzly in the Brooks Range, the marshes where our waterfowl summer, all these are now preserved, now and I pray for all time to come. I thank God 
that you have helped to make it possible for me to sign this bill. After I sign the bill, I'd like to call on John Seibling and Mo Udall and Scoop Jackson and Ted Stevens and Secretary Andrews to say a few words. But they will speak, not only for me and our nation, but for all of you who have been so instrumental in this tremendous achievement. 